I got a question for you, and that is, what is your all-time favorite sappy love song? Okay, I, I, I want to know what your favorite all-time favorite love song would be. Maybe it's something kind of new and modern from like, you know, Ed Sheeran or, or uh, Taylor Swift, or maybe it's from a few years back with, I don't know, Lionel Richie or, you know, or, or Chicago or Celine Dion or, or, or may, maybe it's from like way, way back in the days of, you know, the dark ages, like the Bee Gees and the Beatles and Elvis or, or who was it, you know, who was it that sang, um, you know, um, you've lost the love and feel. Who was that? The Righteous Brothers. Right, right. Maybe it's some, all right, so really, seriously, somebody shout out. What's your all time? There's one. All right. Anybody else? What's your all-time favorite? If you're like me, you know, I was from the 80s, and we, did, we went to dances, not because we knew how to dance or even really wanted to. We just wanted to be close to girls, and so we would wait for the old, you know, maybe like air supply, you know, um, you know something like that with, um, you know, I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. I know you were right. Believe it for so You know that song? Come on. Something like that. So, so, so somebody else, what's your all-time favorite sappy love song? <laughs> That's a good one. That's a great one. Anybody else? Love Shack. Take it from an elder. There we go. All right. What was another one? Love You Truly by, I can't, okay, I'm not sure, I don't remember that one, but I've, okay, there we go. I will be here, Stephen Curtis Chapman, that's a good front row Christian person bringing up a Christian song, <laughs> that's a great one, uh, in her wedding, all right, all right, or, or surely there's somebody in here who would say that they're all-time favorite, and maybe they even want to belt it out, is the Whitney Houston version of... Okay, there we go. That's all. That tops it off, doesn't it? All right, so... All right, so my point is this. Love songs are great. They're a lot of fun. Uh, they bring memories, lots of great things. But love stories are even better, right? I think love stories are even better. And this morning, I want to tell you, I think, the world's best love story, in, 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 uh, at least in the human realm. An incredible love story as we enter week two of the Advent season. But in case you missed it, let me just recap briefly what the word Advent means, what the, the season of Advent is all about. The word itself simply means coming or arrival, and it's the four-week season or the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and it's all about expectation and anticipation and waiting and longing, but it's not just about things from the past. It actually is a concept that links the past with the present with the future as well. Advent is about celebrating what was done and what was anticipated in the past when, when God's people were anticipating and looking forward to the promised Messiah and when that, of course, happened. 
then uh, it also links that past with our present today. When we get to today in our world, celebrate uh, Jesus' birth every Christmas season. And then it also um, connects to the future when we are filled with anticipation and expectation for His second coming, which could be any day. Could be today. Could be tomorrow. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, I'm looking forward to Christmas, but if, if we don't get to celebrate it the way we normally do because Jesus comes back first, that'd be all right, wouldn't it? Well, anyway, each week we are focusing on a different attribute of Jesus, whose name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we are doing so by representing or looking at, at four different words that are represented in his name, in who he is. We looked last week at the concept of hope and what it means to be filled with hope thinking about what Jesus did for us. We are today looking at the word love, and then the next two weeks we'll also talk about joy and peace. But today, again, I think love songs are great, but love stories are even better. And so I want to tell you a love story this morning, if that's okay. Can we do that? Can we tell a love story? You know, have you ever thought that the Christmas story of Mary and Joseph is a love story? I mean, we think of Romeo and Juliet or other stories like that, but you know, Mary and Joseph, Joseph and Mary, their story is as pure and as beautiful as any love story in history. And so this morning, if, if you're willing, I'd like to kind of share with you, even mostly read to you a story. I've done my best to write it out and share with you what we know from Scripture and from history and tell you an incredible and heart-touching love story. So picture the scene. Imagine with me. And place yourself back in the ancient dusty days of Israel and the time of Roman rule. In a small village called Nazareth lives a carpenter named Joseph. He's of noble ancestry. In fact, he's a distant relative of King David. But he lives a humble life, working with his hands as a tradesman. He probably learned to build things from his father, who was probably a carpenter before him. And some scholars think Joseph grew up in Bethlehem and moved sometime later to Nazareth, about 70 miles north as the crow flies. But if so, maybe this was so that he could build his own carpentry business. Maybe, maybe he had relatives there. Maybe the town needed a new uh, carpenter, good carpenter. We don't know for sure, but we can speculate that Joseph had probably been working long enough to establish himself as an honorable and fairly successful craftsman. That would have made him an eligible bachelor, probably around 20 years old or so, give or take. And he was someone who would then be ready to marry and establish his own family. And the younger girls of the village, well, actually probably more likely their fathers, um, would have especially noticed him. You see, you have to remember that the Jewish marriage customs of the day were very different from ours today. Um, they followed clearly defined legal guidelines and took place in three stages. That was, first of all, in this order, the contract, the consummation, and then the celebration. So first, Mary's father would have gone to Joseph to propose and arrange marriage. A cash price like a dowry would be set that Joseph would pay to Mary's family, maybe along with some gifts, and a contract called a ketabah would have been signed. And at that point, Joseph and Mary would have virtually been 100% married pretty much the same thing. He was her husband, she was his wife in, for all practical purposes. And then the couple would get to know each other, more like the dating stage that we're so familiar with in our culture today. 
But again, that was after they were basically connected and united and, and, and uh, uh, betrothed to one another in this till death do you part moment. Mary would still live with her family, and at some point in the future, maybe a year, maybe many years from then, depending on the bride's age and other factors, Joseph would eventually bring a group of his friends, and they would lead a long procession down to Mary's house where she would be waiting with a group of her friends as well. And then, while everyone waited, this is not what we would consider normal, but then while everyone waited in or around the house, the couple would go inside and consummate the marriage. This stage was called the chupa. And then everyone would go together after the consummation of the marriage and have a feast and celebrate. That was the final stage of the process. It was all very different from what we're used to, and it might even sound a little awkward to a lot of us today, especially the younger people in the room, like, oh my word, are you serious? You know, but that's the way it worked during those days. Now again, all of us might be thinking, well, that does seem a little short on romance, a little unusual, and maybe it was in some ways, but not so fast, because just because the culture and traditions of those ancient days looked different doesn't mean that they did not love each other in a deep and romantic way as well. It just played out differently than what we are accustomed to. Use your imaginations with me. The, the Bible doesn't fill in all these details, but maybe Mary and Joseph's story played out a little bit more in detail like this. Mary was certainly younger than Joseph. Tradition suggests that she was probably a young teenager, in that day a marriageable age, even at maybe age 13 or 14. And the options and opportunities of a life path would greatly depend upon who she married and the family details and all of those things. So she would have known who Joseph was. He was still fairly rugged and young and strong. His forearms undoubtedly would be chiseled. His hands would be rough for sure. And and we're told a lot of things about him in the Bible, but not that much. But based on that, I would assume that he was probably an even-keeled, confident and kind man. Mary might have at one point said, Father, do you, do you know that Joseph, you know, son of that carpenter? You know, with kind of a twinkle in her eye. Mary's mother might have added at some point, yeah, honey, you know, I think that young Joseph would be a, he seems like a really kind and honorable man. I think he would make a great husband for our young Mary someday. And for his part, Joseph would have known the young girls at the village Their fathers were his customers after all, so he would have built furniture for their homes. He probably, you know, handcrafted yokes and plows and shovels and the like for their farms, maybe wheels for their carts. He listened as they talked about their families, undoubtedly. He heard them discussing things like that and was therefore familiar with whether they were kind and whether they were fair in business and all of the details about their families, their social life. And maybe, just maybe, there were several local girls or families with their eye on Joseph as potential marriage material. And after all, human hearts and emotions have been the same throughout history. That has not changed, no matter how formal or different the social customs. So Joseph might have at one point turned to one of his buddies and said, Man, have you seen that Mary? I mean, her eyes sparkle like the sun when it comes up over the Sea of Galilee. Oh, wow. You know, and... Maybe Mary would have said to her sister or one of her friends, yeah, I saw Joseph, that, that, you know that Joseph? 
you know, he was over there with some little children who were watching him do his work at his workshop. And wow, his voice and his mannerisms, his smile, they're just, just incredible, just musical. And eventually this young couple was married in the sense we discussed already, bound to each other for life with their hearts stirring and their future uncertain. Like the rest of us, they could have had no way of knowing what would truly come before them or what marriage was really going to end up being like and what it was going to be like to be husband and wife. But excitement must have filled them as the formalities were signed and I would guess nervousness had to be part of the equation too. What are we getting into? I mean, I don't really hardly know this guy or this girl. I mean, what I do know I like, but I don't know that much. You know, I'm guessing Joseph probably carved small wooden gifts for his new wife, you know, being a carpenter and all. Maybe a wooden flower to reflect her beauty. Or maybe a bird because its grace reminds me of you, he might say to her. Or perhaps a small box with a valuable metal clasp where she could store small treasures that were near and dear to her heart. Who knows? Mary might have enjoyed watching Joseph work, shaping and creating in his workshop, just, just looking at him, watching him do his thing, where they could talk and laugh and share moments together. She might have baked and brought special goods and cakes and things like that for him to enjoy. And certainly, you know, she would have enjoyed being together and having him as part of her family. Joseph would have undoubtedly spent time at her house for meals and celebrations, religious festivals, sharing life with them and all of its daily twists and turns. And with each day that passed, this young couple learned, you know, more and more about each other, what made each other laugh, how they handled challenges in the hard days, the strength of their personalities that shown in the imperfections where they failed, their hopes and fears and dreams for the future, you know, how many children they would one day have, and what kind of house Joseph might build for them. I mean, being a craftsman, it, he probably had great hopes and thoughts about that. And, and finally, can you imagine how they, just like any other couple throughout history, including couples today, how they committed to loving one another and how they were looking forward to loving one another and enjoying God's plan in terms of his timing, but, but enjoying God's plan for intimacy someday, longing for the day to come when, when it would be right to consummate their marriage. We tend to think, well, they, you know, Mary and Joseph probably weren't like that, but th they were humans just like the rest of us and probably longed for that day Looking forward to it. Each day passed, Mary and Joseph chose love, though, as God designed and waited and continued to wait. And their love continued to grow and deepen. So, with all of that as a backdrop, imagine the emotional bombshell that went off when Joseph heard the news. Mary, how could you? What in the world? How could you do this to me, to... To us, I thought you loved me just like I loved you. We were doing this the right way, honoring God and waiting and honoring our families and each other. And now, now this? If any of you have ever experienced the betrayal of adultery or been close to someone who has, you know the devastation. The pain is as deep as an ocean. The wounds feel physical 
like your chest has literally been blown wide open. This was the broken trust that Joseph would have felt when Mary came and told him the good news that she thought was good news. Joseph, I, I, I know, all right, listen, I, I know this sounds crazy, but an angel visited me and told me I'm going to have a baby. The angel said his name will be Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Joseph, he's the Messiah, the promised one. You have to believe me. It's a miracle. You have to believe me because, because I, I'm pregnant. Maybe Joseph tried to listen to these words at first. I mean, an angel, a miracle, Messiah. You know, he might have been filled with questions, but trying to tune in and listen to her, but that weight of that last word, pregnant, had to just overwhelm him. I mean, everybody knows there's only one way to get pregnant, and Joseph knew he had not been involved. Anyone else would have known that he had not been involved as well, well, unless he dishonored Mary and her family and all that they held to be true. And if he'd done that, then he too would have been a disgrace to their society. So this was all just too much for him to handle, for him to take in. So maybe he walked away in silence. Maybe broken and speechless. Maybe he shouted and stormed out of the room. Maybe he sent Mary away in tears. We, we don't know, but it could not have gone smoothly. And maybe this was part of why Mary, as we're told in Luke chapter 1, before the famous and more often read at Christmas time story found in Luke chapter 2. Maybe that's why Mary went to spend three months with her, with her cousin Elizabeth, away from her own village in the hill country of Judea. It would buy time for Mary's family to figure out what to do. I mean, how would people ever believe this story? I mean, how, how could she even really take it in and grasp it? Maybe it would give Joseph time to accept it or at least to figure out how to respond, what to think, what to do. So the couple in love separated with pain and anger and distrust swirling in and around them. Young Mary clung desperately to the encouraging words of that angel, though, and a knowledge deep in her soul that for whatever reason, no matter how unbelievable it sounded and how miraculous it was, that God's very Son had sprung to life inside of her, and somehow God would make it all right. Somehow God would find a way. Isn't that just the kind of crisis that threatens to destroy any good love story today or in the past? Now, the exact circumstances are different from what you or I would ever face, but the feelings and the emotions and the relational challenges are no different at their core. Mary and Joseph's story is a true human love story, but it is also a supernatural love story that involves you and me and every human being that has ever walked this earth or ever will in the future. So let's dig a little deeper into this at this point and look into how this story affects you and me and how we can experience this supernatural love of God with us, which again is Emmanuel, through the Advent season and, and even beyond. You know, if we were watching a movie of Mary and Joseph's love story, this is where it would probably pan back. You know, if Hollywood were involved, they would 
do something really cool to try to show us what this would look like, to pan back, drifting out of that drab and dusty Galilean village, seeing a wider and wider vision above the ancient landscape and the geographic forms we recognize as continents and oceans, and still panning further back above the great blue ball of earth, and then still further beyond the solar system and the Milky Way galaxy, and somehow wider still through the limits of the universe and space and light and time themselves until finally, somehow, somewhere beyond the limits of physics that bind our creation, there would only be a presence, a supernatural, infinite presence that is the embodiment of the Word, love. It's all that would be there. There, in that place, there is only love. There is only God who is love. Somehow over all things and within all things and present and moving within all time, including the entire history of humanity that appears as only a tiny blip, there is God. God, who is love. 1 John chapter 4 tells us so. Beloved, John writes, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever love has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, say it with me, God is love. God is love. Later in the same chapter, verse 16, he goes on to say, So we have come to know and to believe that love, the love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. This is the nature of our God, love at its purest form. We in our society have, have been infatuated with this concept of love. Just think about the power you could harness. If you could somehow harness all the energy and effort that has gone into describing and writing about, whether it be stories or movies or or poems, or on and on throughout history, not just in our world, modern world, but throughout history. All that has been done to capture and talk about and portray this concept of love kind of says something about us, doesn't it? About maybe how God created us to have a longing in our heart because God, being love, came to love us, to develop a relationship with us, and He gave us an opportunity to be in love with him, to be loved by him and to love him back. But love was at the center of God's creative forces that made the universe and formed people in his image to be in relationship with him. Love was there even when the world fell into sin and rebellion, and despite the, the, the catastrophic consequences of humanity's fall, love was there in the beginning. Love was there in shepherding Adam and Eve and their family into this altered world. Even then, love was making a way to restore all that had been lost. And he, God, has been continuing to develop and write this love story between him and humans ever since. Love forged a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Love continually led the Israelites through relocation and resettlement, through triumph and imprisonment and exile. In fact, as we trace through the Old Testament, love guided and corrected and exhorted and showed mercy to an ever-disobedient and easily distracted group of people, God's people, the Israelites, who are not so dissimilar to you and I today. 
In Mary and Joseph's particular story, love was making or taking the form of humanity in the Messiah, Jesus, a baby that they would raise. Love is God with us, Emmanuel. And love would be with Mary and Joseph to care for them and provide everything for them that they would need through this journey that God was calling them to. The test of any good love story, though, is, is love enough? Is love really enough? Is this love strong enough and deep enough and true enough to handle X, Y, Z? Whether it be from trivial and annoying little things to annoyingly catastrophic and potentially crushing big things. And the answer to the question in the context of Mary and Joseph's story is yes. Yes. The answer is yes. Love is big enough. Love was enough. Love is enough. God is enough. And His love is faithful, not only to them, but to all of us since. You know, Mary's journey to her cousin Elizabeth's house could not have been easy. The walk would have been long and hot. The road must have been lonely. And the miles as she walked, the hours, days allowed those recent conversations to echo over and over in her head as she relived the pain and hurt in Joseph's eyes and in his words to her, the disbelief, confusion from her family as well as Joseph, and yet still the hope and promise delivered by that angel. She knew the truth, but how would anyone else ever come to see it or to believe it? And what was going to happen to her? She didn't know. But as soon as Mary arrived, at that house. She was greeted with love. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear, Elizabeth exclaimed. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Luke chapter 1, verse 42 and following. Can you imagine the relief for Mary? Immediately, Elizabeth, who was carrying her own miracle child, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, knew and confirmed to Mary that love was here, that God was here, and that everything was going to be okay. Mary needed to hear that. Mary's response was overwhelming. She said, or maybe even sang, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the, of the humble state of His servant. Verse 46 of Luke 1. In the midst of Mary's human crisis, God provided just the love that she needed through another person who understood and supported her and believed her. That's often the way God's love works. As we walk in His love, He knows just what we need and He brings us support from other people all around us. On the flip side, He often uses us to provide that same love to support others that He places in our path. In Joseph's case, his needs were a little different. So back in Nazareth, in his pain and confusion, Joseph decided he was going to divorce Mary. Remember, in those days, 
An engagement was virtually the same thing as what we would call a marriage certificate today. It was as binding and permanent. And the pain was just too much for young Joseph. He could not believe that this was happening. And while legally he could have taken Mary to court and had her punished, even put to death had he so desired, he still loved her. So, of course, he didn't want to do that. He could not do that. But he also could not handle the breach of trust. And the law allowed him to divorce her quietly and try not to make a public disgrace of her. So that was his choice. And that's when, in a supernatural love story, God knew that Joseph needed some supernatural love as well. So Joseph also got a visit from an angel with a message. Joseph! Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 20. Notice how God knew exactly what was at the heart of Joseph's hurt. It was fear. Fear. And God gave Joseph the reassurance he needed to trust Mary and to trust their love and ultimately to trust God and his love and to make a way that God would make a way for their amazing, unbelievable and dangerous and ultimately triumphant story. Joseph therefore chose love and trust, even though everything in his humanity probably told him otherwise even though the law told him that he could do otherwise. And I think that is a beautiful reflection of God's own choice to love and foster relationship with us. When our kind of logic would lead God, if we were him looking at us, to think, no, I'm done with them. I'm done with you. And yet, as Joseph chose love, God has chosen love for us. Even though our sin should mean death and separation from the holy, perfect God, His nature of pure love is there for us today. John 3.16 tells us that it was because of love, because of this kind of love that God sent Jesus to this earth to die, not to just be born and live a nice life and die of natural causes at whatever age he deemed appropriate, but to die as a young man in a horrific and gruesome way because of love for you, for you, for me. The love of God with us is God's perfect love in human form that we celebrate. And this is the love that knows exactly what we need, no matter what we are facing in this season whether it's support from or restoration to another person, or whether it is an encounter with the God of the miraculous, God's love is with us. It is here for you, and it is making a way to accomplish God's work in your life, whatever is needed. And as mind-blowing as it is, God's love is also eternal, it's a never-ending love, as God himself is never-ending. It was, it is, and it always will be. And there's 
beauty and understanding and acknowledging and trusting in this kind of love. His love in tangible ways that are both daily occurrences and historically changing, life-changing events like Christ's birth. And as he expresses his love to us in all these ways, we'll find that all of our tears have been caught in the hand of the author and giver of love. This is the love that God with us lived out before us, that he lives out now as we are breathing and sitting here thinking about this story right here today, December of 2018. And it is the same love that will be there in perfection when he splits the sky and comes again for us in that perfect moment that could be today, tomorrow, a thousand years from now, we don't know. But it is also the love that the incredible words of Paul, hopeful words of Paul the Apostle, show us or talk about for us in Romans chapter 8 when he reminds us of this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a beautiful description of that love. Is this not a beautiful love story? Wow. Well, like any true God-written love story, Mary and Joseph's love did not end with themselves. It was built upon the foundation of God's perfect and supernatural love, and they trusted God and followed Him on a crazy ride, unlike any ride anybody else has ever been on in this world's history. And when they opened their hearts to God's love, He allowed it to flow right through them as a small current in an overwhelmingly huge ocean of human need. And this is the same love that sweeps us up today and that God wants us to be a part of, to catch that wave and ride it as well. Mary and Joseph were in it together. The long journey to Bethlehem, the seemingly desperate night with Mary about to give birth with no place to lay her head. And then finally, the moment of Jesus' birth, arrival to planet Earth, the first cry of the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us in their arms. What a story. But oh, the inside knowledge that only Mary and Joseph shared, things we can only speculate about, the conversations they must have had and the questions they must have discussed, like, why us? I mean, didn't that have to be at the very top of the list? Why us? But from the beginning, they recognized that Jesus, their son, was so much more than just their son. His life existed for all of us. He was Emmanuel, God with us, with all of us. And with this knowledge, Mary and Joseph chose to live with open hands, trusting in and living out the miraculous love that had been given to them. And in this Advent season, we have the opportunity to reflect on how we, as God's people, can do the same. And the ability to do so begins with, with us opening ourselves up to God's immeasurable love, to receive it to take it in, to, to embrace it, to breathe it in, to enjoy it, to feel it deeply and emotionally, but beyond all of that, to also share it, to share it with others. Love is something, you see, love is something you do. 
It's not just something you feel. It then grows and overflows as we extend kindness and care to others around us. Sometimes that takes the form of a small step. Sometimes it takes the form of a giant leap. But because God is love, love is with us. It is an external and vast and powerful love, and yet at the same time a gentle, tender, and personal love. And it is love that will make a way, no matter what we are facing today, no matter what is to come before us or what you're dealing with. We live in a day dominated by geopolitical conflicts and economic uncertainty. Turn on the local news or world news, you see that every day. Wars and rumors of wars, which are predicted in Scripture as a sign of the times, sign of the end times. These things are all around us. And big problems seem to call for big solutions. It's tempting to think that we cannot really change anything unless we can somehow change everything But the opposite is actually true. The most significant way any of us can change the world is to begin by changing one, the person looking at yourself in the mirror, and then to go from there and change the life of one other through love. As God has loved you, he calls us to love one another. Jesus once said just that in John 13. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you need to go and love one another. In fact, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. By what? If you love one another. You know, I was encouraged through a powerful email this week. um, Sobering, kind of blunt, straight to the point email. It said, make a difference where you are because you certainly can't make a difference where you're not. It's a good point. Isaiah chapter 58 tells us this. Look at this. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, if you do these things, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. If then. That's because the only things in this world are eternal things. The only things that are eternal things are not things. They are people. People. You see, your neighbor needs the love of God. You need the love of God. Your husband, your wife, they need the love of God. Your child, your co-worker, your friend, aunt, uncle, you name it. Every person God allows you to be in relationship with, they desperately need the love of God. And we love God when we love others in tangible ways, ways that make an impact, ways that make a difference. And I want you to think about that and pray and look for opportunities to love others as we leave this place today. Christmas is only a couple of weeks away and God so desperately wants us to love others in tangible ways. But as we close, I want you to dwell on something else. I want to ask you to stand with me. Will you do that? I want you to dwell on your need for God's love. 
your personal need for God's love. You see, you cannot lead others to a place you're not at. You cannot give away to somebody else something that you do not already have yourself. So as we close, I want you to think about this love story and the personal element of it. The greatest love story ever told is that God sent his only son to this world to die for you and for me. I love how John says it in 1 John chapter 4. We read from this chapter earlier. Simple first, it says, we love because he first loved us. That's the essence of this story. We get to love because he first loved us. Let me close with this prayer. It's actually scripture. It's from Ephesians chapter 3. It's not only a scripture verse to read, it is a prayer. I'd like to just pray it over you. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Sing it with me. Oh, come let us adore